If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Green Dreamer is a community-supported show backed mostly by listeners like you. If you're not listening in for the first time and you aren't low-income or struggling financially, we'd love to get your direct support so we can keep diving into these critical discussions, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you believe in and value this work, you can chip in starting at just $2 at greendreamer.com support. And if you are a current or past supporter, I see you and... We are so grateful. Thank you so much. Our job as farmers is not to produce food. I think what J.I. Rodell was saying is that our job as farmers is to produce healthy people. But I think that our, our agricultural production systems have become so divorced from this idea that we as farmers are on the front lines of human health. That was Jeff Ketch, the Chief Impact Officer at Rodale Institute, which you may have heard before. They are pretty well known. They're a nonprofit that has been dedicated to pioneering organic farming through research and outreach for over 70 years. I really love conversations where we get to connect the dots between different topics. And particularly here, we're going to explore the relationship between functional medicine and regenerative agriculture and also deepen our knowledge about how regenerative farming may impact our public health and social justice. So Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Around the age of four or five, I, I started having going to the doctor, back and forth to the doctor, and through the context of those years um, really began to experience like a real disconnection with, with food and with health. And around the age of 13, I just kind of had a, an awakening moment and decided that I didn't want to live that way anymore and that I wanted to become healthy. And so I began to exercise and get outdoors into nature. And then I remember distinctly giving my mother a grocery list and I said, mom, I want you to go to the store and buy me all of these foods because I read about them in a magazine. 
And I was told that if I would begin to eat healthier, that I could actually heal from the asthma and the allergies and all the things that caused me a lot of suffering as a young child. So I would say that around the age of 13 was really a turning point for me where I began to reconnect with nature and um, get into exercise and physical fitness and really um, began to be set on a path to health that I'm still on today. And did you clearly notice a difference as you embarked on that journey? It was pretty profound, actually. I remember, um, so I, I sustained a, an injury in the eighth grade. I was 13 years old. And again, I, I had had health problems starting at the ages of four and five that carried through till 13. And while I went through this injury, it was really when I began to get on the course to health. And it took a matter of weeks and months before I began to lose weight, drop a lot of the symptoms of asthma and allergies and things that kept me from feeling healthy. All of that began to change pretty quickly when I began to change what I ate. Mm, it's very powerful. And I know you had quite a profound personal health journey a little bit later on that really sparked your interest in functional medicine that continues to shape how you look at health and our food system today. So can you share what what went on for you and the revelations that it gave you regarding what wellness and healing could and should look like? Yeah, I would never be doing the work that I'm doing today with Rodale Institute if it wasn't for a major health collapse that I had about four years ago. So sometime around October of 2016, I had been working in a completely different industry I was in the media industry running several national health and wellness media brands when I fell ill, mysteriously ill. And I was, um, I would say that I was a pretty high capacity professional and athlete. So I had a professional life and then I was also very competitive in athletics. And so I've always been a very proactively healthy person. And then um, four years ago, I fell ill and literally went from 60 to zero. I, I became bedridden overnight with all kinds of mysterious symptoms and went back and forth to a traditional family doctor. And the doctor really wasn't able to find any diagnosis. He had run lots of blood work over the course of several weeks and even months. And over the course of these months, I wasn't getting better. And at one point, the doctor literally wrote me off. He said, there's, there's nothing more I can do for you. We're not finding anything in the blood work. He was convinced that I was, that I was depressed and that he literally, he wrote me a prescription for an antidepressant and said, there's really nothing more that he could do for me. And mm. that was really one of the scariest moments of my life. Um, I was going to ask if he like prescribed medication for you. So he did do that. Yeah, that was the only antidote he had to this, you know, three or four months of back and forth to his office. His conclusion was, you're depressed. At that point, he really just said, there's nothing more I can do for you. He sent me on my way. And then I was at home. I was on medical leave. I was unable to work. And a good friend of mine referred me to what's known as a functional medicine doctor. And I'm sure we'll get into what functional medicine is in the course of this conversation. But ultimately, I was introduced to this gentleman who is my doctor today. And he helped me to diagnose, he diagnosed me ultimately with chronic Lyme disease and began to really look at my entire system, my entire physiology and, you know, set me on a path that ultimately got me, got me better. Um, it was in really that darkest moment though, when I was at my lowest point with my health, I had been serving on the board of directors of the Rodale Institute while doing this other, other work. And I decided that I didn't want to go back to that other work that I wanted to when I healed, when I got better, that I wanted to give the rest of my life to the work of regenerative agriculture. And that ultimately is what catapulted me into the work I'm doing today. 
And that also sparked you to have this perspective of looking at our physiology as an ecosystem, right? Could you talk a little more about that? Yeah. So you mentioned functional medicine and people ask me, well, what does that actually mean, Jeff? And I like to say that functional medicine is analogous to regenerative agriculture. So in conventional medicine, you're treating symptoms. Doctors are looking for symptoms and then they prescribe medicine to treat the symptom. In functional medicine, they, the doctor sees the person as a system and they're looking at a systems-based approach to health and to getting the person, the patient better. You know, in conventional agriculture, often chemicals are sprayed to treat a symptom, whether it's a pest or a weed or some kind of soil imbalance. In regenerative agriculture, we're looking at systems. We're looking at the soil as a system, and we're looking at, at entire ecosystems and how we can use biology instead of chemistry to ultimately grow healthy food. Right. And there are just so many parallels. I like to also think of us human beings individually as super organisms because we know how important our microbiome is to our health. They're actually central to the functioning of our bodies. And that's just really interesting to think about how, you know, you think of a rainforest and all the living creatures within it really make up that ecosystem as it is. And that's the same way with us and the and our microbiology. That was beautifully and eloquently stated. I, I could not agree more with that perspective. So the latest white paper that the Rodale Institute published is titled The Power of the Plate, The Case for Regenerative Organic Agriculture in Improving Human Health. So often when we talk about the numerous chronic illnesses manifested in, in large part from poor diet, we tend to blame the individual. And we say, you know, we, we need better education. We need to better educate the public about what to eat. How much of the resulting health impacts that come from food do you think really come from what people choose based on what's available and accessible to them compared to what's already happened upstream in the food system, maybe at the production stage? That's a great question. You know, our founder, J.I. Rodale, back in 1942, wrote our mission statement on a chalkboard. And those are literally the guiding light of our work today. And those words are healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people. That was the mission that J.I. Rodale coined. And we, every, every single thing that we do at Rodale Institute stems from that, this idea. And what he was ultimately saying is that our job as farmers is not to produce food. I think what J.I. Rodale was saying is that our job as farmers is to produce healthy people. But I think that our, our agricultural production systems have become so divorced from this idea that we as farmers are on the front lines of human health. Mm. we as a society, we've demanded cheap food, right? And when we go to the grocery store, we we're, most people are shopping for the lowest price. And we've so commoditized our food system that farmers, unfortunately, have been put into a position to produce cheap food. We as consumers decided that that's what we wanted. And so that's what we've got. That's, that's really the result of our decisions. So yeah, I think that as consumers, we've, we've, we've voted with our dollar and therefore, we are paying for it, you know, on the back end. I think that there's um, some data that would show that in 1960, we were spending double the amount of our GDP on food than we were on healthcare. And when you fast forward to today, we're spending, I think, double the amount on healthcare than we were on food. I think it's like $3.6 trillion on healthcare. So we're actually paying for it on the back end, even though we're demanding cheap food at, at the point of sale in the grocery store. Right. And this is a quote from the white paper that really stood out to me. 
Despite the fact that research overwhelmingly supports the adoption of whole food diets high in nutrient-dense fruits and vegetables, only 0.9% of adolescents, 2.2% of adult men, and 3.5% of adult women met the daily recommended needs for fruits and vegetables in 2009. Sonny Ramaswamy, probably pronouncing that incorrectly, director of the USDA's National Institute for Food and Agriculture from 2012 to 2018, stated that if Americans were to actually go ahead and jump into consuming the amount of fruits and vegetables recommended, we'd be hard-pressed to meet that demand. Simply put, our farming systems aren't aligned with what science has identified as the best foods for proper health. End quote. Why is there such a discrepancy? And if this is the case, besides obviously consumers wanting cheap food, what really incentivizes and influences what our farm systems produce and how they go about doing that? Well, I think unfortunately the markets have driven that. Um, we we you know like every other industry, we're constantly looking to improve our bottom line, and so we are mass producing our food. We're seeing a massive exit of the family farm in exchange for these massive corporate farms where we're farming on large scale using very chemical intensive, machinery intensive, mechanized uh, models. And so in in the doing of all that, we've lost our focus on soil health. And this idea that a farmer is not just growing food, it's growing healthy soil. Our job as farmers is to is to improve soil health over time. And we've really lost that view. We've lost that that uh, responsibility. You know, farmers are now graded on how much yields they can produce as opposed as opposed to healthy soil. So I think we really need a wholesale shift. We need to rethink how we are incentivizing our farmers. And I believe that it's time that we as consumers begin to rebalance our, you know, our 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 annual expenditure on food. I think we all can deserve to make sacrifices in other areas of our life in order to to spend more on food that's going to ultimately make us healthier and to incentivize the farmer for the right things. Are there also at a political level things that are currently tipping the scale in favor of these big agricultural practices that are so reliant on agrochemicals and conventional agriculture compared to like small, small family farms? Absolutely. Yeah, no, no question. Um, There's a couple of major policy shifts that need to happen in order for us to reverse our the course that we're on. Number one, there's the subsidy, right? So conventional farmers qualify for a subsidy that, frankly, that you and I pay for in our tax dollars. So essentially a farmer, a conventional farmer that relies on chemical inputs can qualify for a subsidy if he or she has crop failure. So if there was, you know, if there was extreme drought or extreme rain and there was crop loss, uh, that farmer can still be compensated even if that farmer was using bad practices on their farm that use agrochemicals and other and other means. In addition to that, there's the whole lobbying piece that is really something that we need to shed light on. Companies like, um, well, Bear Chemical, which purchased Monsanto, as an example, it's my understanding that they have over 150 lobbyists that work just for that one company wow. all day, every, every day in Washington, D.C., you know, advocating and fighting for policies in their favor. So to give you some perspective, Rodale Institute recently launched the Organic Farmers Association, which is a policy organization that's working in Washington, D.C. to try to fight and advocate for organic farming. 
And we, our budget allows us to have one lobbyist. So we're, our one lobbyist is up against their 150. So yeah, that's really what, what we're up against and what we really need consumers to become more conscious of because ultimately consumers can shift the markets. Mm. That's really powerful. And I guess a challenge is that because in our society, money equates with power, conventional agriculture seems to be more profitable because they're sort of creating the issues that then require solutions for, you know, farmers to buy these chemicals or buy pesticides, buy herbicides, fertilizers, buy these GMO seeds and so forth. Whereas regenerative agriculture, on the other hand, just by how it's practiced and how you're really healing the earth's regenerative capacity to heal and continually regenerate, that doesn't require as much additional inputs that farmers would have to buy from a company like Monsanto, for example. So I guess it's a challenge there because the big ag industry, they're always going to have more money, at least at the moment, to be able to hire more lobbyists to then tip this political system in their favor, to then further the system as it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. I mean, in, in that conventional model that you just eloquently described, everyone in that system makes money except the farmer. So the, the chemical, the chemical inputs company, the heavy machinery and the equipment company, the processor, everyone is making money in that system except for the farmer. Conventional farming is, is, is a zero to 1% margin business these days in most cases. In the regenerative farming sector, though, the farmer makes the money and keeps all the money in his or her system. So a regenerative organic farmer is improving the health of their soil improving the valuation of their asset, which is their farmland. They're getting upwards of three to six times more profits on what it is that on what it is that they grow. And so it's literally these are opposite these are totally opposite systems here where in the conventional system everyone wins but the farmer. And in the regenerative system, the farmer wins and keeps the profits inside of that system. So with you guys working directly with farmers, I'm curious if farmers are waking up to see that in this current conventional agriculture model, they're kind of being pushed to the edge and almost being exploited by this larger system. And are they are they feeling this desire and need to get out and seeing the promises of regenerative agriculture for them? Absolutely, Kamea. Yeah, it's happening right before our eyes, you know, and, and literally it's been accelerated in the last 24 to 36 months, unlike any other time in recent history where we're seeing this um, wholesale shift in the mindset of our farmers. I mean, I think there's something like six to 8,000 family farms that go bank, conventional farms that go bankrupt every year. Simultaneously, we're seeing the rise in demand for organic and, and regenerative products. We're seeing growth in the organic sector at unprecedented rates. And we're seeing what's so inspiring and encouraging to me is to see this younger next generation farmer come online. So at Rodale Institute, we host um, usually between 40 and 60 interns each year. These are young people that aspire to enter careers in agriculture. And they come to us from all walks of life across the United States and around the world. Funny enough, most of those um, interns are, are young women, which I find to be so mm -hmm. exciting. But um, we're seeing we're seeing this next generation come to the fore, many of whom, some of whom are, are taking over the family farm and they're saying, mom and dad, I don't want to do it the way you did it. I, I want to pursue this idea of regenerative agriculture. And so it is very encouraging to me to see this shift happening. 
Rodale Institute recently launched a consultancy where we're now offering free consulting to farmers here in the state of Pennsylvania that have an interest in transitioning to organic and regenerative. And then we also offer that consultancy around the rest of the United States um, for a small fee. But we are we, we went from zero to 24,000 acres under management in less than eight months. So we just mm-hmm. launched this consultancy eight months ago, and we already have over 70 farms across the United States that are working with us to transition. Um, and so we're seeing a real, we're seeing a real momentum for, for the movement, and it's very exciting. Definitely very affirming and exciting to hear about. And going on, another part of the paper states that as a nation, the U.S. spends approximately 18% of its GDP, so $3.6 trillion on healthcare, a number projected to reach nearly $6 trillion by 2027. That's the highest per capita healthcare expenditure of any nation in the world. Yet this massive investment hasn't paid off in improved health outcomes or longevity, end quote. With this in mind, there's been a lot more talk about our need for a Medicare for all system that is pretty much the norm for most other major countries and also something that a vast majority of Americans do support. But even still with a Medicare for all system, the focus would still be on sick care and not health care, which should also in- involve other things like food policy, farm bills that shape agriculture, environmental policy, worker rights and economic policy. So all of that is a lot. And I'm wondering on a practical level, how do we start to transform our sick care? to regenerative healthcare to have agriculture work with wellness, but in a regenerative way and not like right now where we have big agriculture tied to big pharma and those two feeding into one another. Yeah, absolutely. You you just went to the heart of why we authored this white paper, which took us over two years to produce it. The reason, the impetus for Rodale Institute um, authoring a white paper on human health was because the reality is, is that doctors and farmers don't sit at the same table. Doctors don't talk to farmers. Farmers don't talk to doctors. Mm. And we wanted to, Rodale Institute wanted to bridge that gap, to bring together a conversation of those on the front lines of our healthcare, which should be farmers, and those on the, um, on the reactive side of healthcare, which is our doctors. If we could, if we as a country could turn our attention to food, to where it comes from, how it's produced, and begin to see our farmers as those on the front lines of human health, it would revolutionize everything. If we simply changed what we fed our nation, I believe that it would dramatically shift the pressures that are being put on our healthcare system uh, simply by changing how what we eat was produced. Save the river, save the sea. Save the mother and her family Can you take what you want and say that we are free? If you put oil in the water, we won't sit quietly And they were singing, stand up, stand up
On another diet-related illness, uh, figures from the CDC found that more than one-third of U.S. adults and 17% of children were obese in 2019. So often, as I mentioned earlier, with other chronic illnesses, obesity is also blamed on the individual. But my understanding is that our bodies are highly complex and functional, so that for the most part, when we strip out the junk food that's chemically made to be addictive, our feelings of cravings and hunger are actually meaningful. So I'm wondering what we know about the trends in nutrient density in our foods today and how that might relate to many people feeling chronically unsatiated because because while we're maximizing calories, we might still be deficient in some micro, phyto, or trace nutrients that we might not even fully understand yet. Yeah. Our chief scientist at Rodale Institute, his name is Dr. Drew Smith. He's uh, began to coin a phrase that he, he calls it hidden hunger. So most of us are consuming an inordinate amount of calories and food for that matter. There's no shortage of food in this country. Um, in fact, we probably we do waste more food than we consume. However, the kinds of because of the ways in which we've changed agriculture, what we're ultimately doing is producing nutrient deficient commodity crops that are that are used primarily in processed foods. And frankly, a lot of the food that we grow in this country isn't even used for food consumption. It's used for industrial applications and and other uh, and other purposes outside of agriculture, which is kind of sad. But at Rodale Institute, we're laser focused on doing research that is looking at comparative studies that would show the world that uh, there is clear differences in nutrient density between foods that are produced in a regenerative organic way and that those foods that are produced conventionally. We have st we've started a long-term trial at Rodale called the, uh, the Vegetable Systems Trial. This is uh, the first study of its kind to our knowledge in the United States uh, it's now going into its fourth year, and we're essentially looking at two systems. A um, One is a conventional way of growing vegetables using ke conventional chemical methods, and, uh, and then there's the regenerative organic systems that are using biology instead of chemistry. And so over time, we're, we're going to be studying how the nutrient quality of those foods differ based on how that food was grown. And what's remarkable, Kamea, is that just in our first and second year, we already saw dramatic differences um, just in, in one crop in particular, which was carrots. We saw pretty big uh, differences in the carotenoids and in some of the phytonutrients in regenerative organic carrots than we did in conventional. And by the way, all this research that I'm referencing can be found quite easily on our website. So if your audience is looking to go deeper, they can certainly go there. But Rodale is, is really excited about this study called the Vegetable Systems Trial because what it will ultimately hopefully do is, is answer the question once and for all, you know, is organic food truly worth the premium? Is it worth it to spend more on organic food? Well, we believe that this study is going to answer that question. Mm, and we're really looking forward to that. There's definitely also a clear racial and economic disparity in the incidence of a lot of chronic illnesses. We know, for example, that African-American adults and Hispanics have significantly greater levels of obesity compared to non-Hispanic white Americans. So... Because of how much the food we eat impacts our health and because how much access and economic power we have affect what we're able to eat, how can we have a future of regenerative healthcare and regenerative agriculture that helps to address these systemic injustices as well? Yeah, we need to make affordable, fresh, 
healthy, nourishing, organic food available to all. Everyone deserves that right. Everyone deserves the right to eat, to eat real food and to begin to be educated and to be to, to gain access to those kinds of foods. You know, at Rodale Institute, we believe in, in creating models that can disrupt and create change. And so about five years ago, we launched a pilot program called the Agriculture Supporting Communities Program. And we kind of took that acronym CSA that's popularized today and we flipped it. So our program is called an ASC. And that means that agriculture supports communities. Communities don't support agriculture. Um, And we really need to begin to to flip that paradigm. Uh, We need need to begin to um, raise up our farmers, both in urban areas and in rural areas. And so we've started a program that, that accomplishes two tasks. One, it trains farmers. So we have farmers young trainees that come to us from all over the world to spend a growing season with us. And then we take all that produce that those young uh, men and women produce, and we truck it into an inner city that's neighboring Rodale Institute's campus called Allentown, Pennsylvania. And we distribute that food at several drop-off locations around the inner city to low-income, low-access family members. And they get to purchase that organic food using their, their SNAP benefits. So they actually get double SNAP points using their food stamps. Mm. And so we're providing them with recipes, with creative ways of cooking and preparing these foods. And we meet with these families weekly to ensure that, they're, that they have what they need to nourish themselves and their families. And so we've partnered with a regional hospital, Lehigh Valley Health Network, this year. And we're going to begin to expand this program to 50 additional families through the health network that are low access, low, in, uh, low access, low income, and high health risk. And we're gonna to begin to track the long-term human health outcomes to these 50 families when we begin to give them free organic food for the entire season. So these families are actually gonna get um, free shares to our ASC program. And then we'll look at the, mo- the long-term health outcomes of that. So this is all very exciting. And it, we believe it's a model that can then be adopted across the United States and other regions and in other inner cities. I love that. So right now we're currently going through this coronavirus pandemic, and I've been really curious to get different guests' perspectives based on their differing sets of experiences and expertise. So I've personally been frustrated by mainstream media's kind of skewed discussion of the pandemic. I feel like we're constantly being bombarded by information that can make us feel fearful or helpless without really discussing how we've made our entire populations more vulnerable to epidemics like this one with many of our lack of optimal health and therefore what we can do to strengthen our health and immunity. And also without discussing how human-driven biodiversity loss and over-extraction also make virus infections more likely to catch on and spread. And there Therefore, what we need to do to reverse ecological degradation and strengthen our collective resilience. And instead, we're being pushed narratives that encourage microbial xenophobia, when we know that most (laughs) microbial life is actually either benign or beneficial to us, including viruses. And definitely when we learn about soil health and our own microbiome, that becomes really clear as well. So I guess my worry is that these myopic messages will lead to the continued justification of things like single-use plastics in the name of hygiene and also the continued approach to control and kill. So to control and kill microbial life indiscriminately, just like our mindless use of agrochemicals to control pests and weeds indiscriminately. And then also at the social level, it might also breed more racism, distress, and divisiveness among humankind. 
With your personal health journey that you mentioned earlier, what is your message for what we should learn from this time of much-needed reflection and healing as you've personally connected the dots between personal and planetary well-being? Absolutely, yeah. Put simply, Kamea, I believe that we are all being called to farm our bodies right now. You know, as I alluded to earlier, in the regenerative approach to agriculture, we're, we're focusing on biology instead of chemistry. So it's embracing all of life to produce healthy soil and ultimately healthy food and people. And so in the same way that we approach agriculture, I believe we should approach human health. And as we, are, as we face this pandemic, as a society, we're being called to live a healthier life right now. Mm. Uh, we're being called to focus on um, managing our diet, our stress levels, our, our movement, our breathing, our sleep, our, our, our rest and our nourishment. If we put all of our energies on on our on our own biological systems, it makes our bodies and our, our immune systems more resilient. And to your point, in ecology and in agriculture, there's always the threat of, of disease or pests or weeds. But if your biological system, if you're focused on the whole system, your body, your immune system is designed to, to fight any kind of potential pathogen and to bring it into symbiosis with the rest of the biology. So a pathogen can coexist. You know, it's kind of like what I experienced in Lyme disease with Lyme disease. You know, there's a lot of varying opinions on this, but I believe that the body can never fully eradicate the Lyme bacteria from the body. It's always going to be part of our overall ecological makeup, but you teach your body to live in symbiosis with, with the Lyme bacteria. I believe the same can be true for any pathogen. So you're right. We shouldn't be embracing this killing mentality. We should be breathing life into our bodies right now. And and ultimately, I think that this COVID crisis is, is a call for us not only to farm our bodies, but also as a society to embrace local and regenerative agriculture. Every single one of us votes three times a day with our dollars. We all get to choose what we put on our plate, where that food comes from and how it's produced. And we're watching this sort of global disruption in our supply chains, right? We're seeing massive disruptions at grocery stores and in and in giant mega food supply chains but you know who's thriving right now it's the it's the local and the regenerative farmer it's the direct the farmer that's able to sell directly to the consumer and so what i'm encouraging every single one of us to do right now in this moment is to get to know a farmer and to have a relationship with a farmer in your community it doesn't i'm not suggesting that we're going to get 100% of our food from a local farmer that would be amazing but that's likely not possible but if we can all begin to, to shift some of our monthly income to local food systems right now in this moment, we can dramatically alter the long-term outcome of, of, of our food supply chain. So I think it's a very exciting time. And I know you've mentioned several of your projects going on earlier in this conversation. Um, you guys have been spearheading a lot of efforts to really improve the food system for our collective human and planetary health. What are some of the success stories that you're most proud of you guys having accomplishing that we can celebrate? And then what are you working on now that we can support? You know, Rodale Institute has always made a commitment to long-term studies. Our farming systems trial is a 40-year study that is a comparison of organic and conventional grain crops. And when people go to the grocery store and they see that little USDA organic logo on products, it was the research coming out of the farming systems trial back in the 1990s that ultimately gave our government the confidence to pass, to pass the National Organic Production Act. 
and ultimately build the national organic standard. So I think Rodale, you know, stands very proud for that accomplishment. We continue to invest in that research on an annual basis and and will for 40 more years, hopefully. Currently, though, I think what where we are seeing our greatest successes is in our expansion. So we've recently opened three satellite campuses. Rodale Institute is now operating in Ventura, California, um, outside of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and then outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And we've been able to take our you know, our, re- our research and our best practice out into other regions of the United States that desperately need it, where organic agriculture needs to be um, thriving and currently isn't. So our hope is to continue to expand our work into other markets and that we can begin to become a beacon of hope in these uh, areas of the United States and ultimately around the world that have been decimated by ch- chemical conventional agriculture and that we could, be- could come into the doorstep of these communities and offer these farmers the education and training and research that they need to thrive going forward. And finally, what do you recommend our listener do to really help to restore their own regenerative capacities to heal, as well as our planetary regenerative capacity to really create abundance? Yeah, uh, two things. I think uh, back to my earlier response, I think we all have a responsibility to get to know and support a farmer in our community, if not one, many farmers in our community to build that one-to-one relationship and to step foot onto those farms and to become familiar with them and to really deepen our connection to where our food comes from and how it's produced. Second to that, um, everyone can grow a garden in some way, shape or form. Every single one of us can grow something. I think um, in World War II, the statistic is that we were growing 45% of our food in our own backyards. And this is an incredible moment in human history for us to do the same and to reconnect with nature by getting out and, 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 and to literally learn to plant something. And we have some incredible resources on our website. We just launched a, a V is for Victory gardening campaign. Um, you can read more about that on our website, but we're challenging our audience and yours to, to grow a garden this year. So it's www.rodaleinstitute.org to stay updated on Jeff's work at Rodale Institute. And you can also follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Rodale Institute. All of this will be linked in our show notes that you can find at greendreamer.com. Jeff, thank you so much for sharing this time with us today and for sharing all of your learning lessons, expertise, and inspirations. What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? Yeah, every one of you has the power to change the future of humanity simply by what you put on your plate, the power of the plate. And I would encourage all of us to vote with our dollar every moment of every day for a regenerative future for all. This is Green Dreamer, and I'm your host, Kamea Shane. If you've learned from or have been inspired by this episode, we would love to have your direct support starting at just $2 at greendreamer.com slash support so we can keep this show going and accessible to the public. Today's song feature is Fight For You by Ray Zaragoza, whose work you can find at rayzaragoza.com. And I also want to thank our audio engineer, Scott Donnell, and our post-production content manager, Elizabeth Joy. We appreciate your support so much. Thank you for tuning in and uh, committing to learning with us. And I will catch you soon in the next episode. 